uh, one of the basic teachings of Yogacara Buddhism or Chittamatra, consciousness only. And it's a, it's a difficult, very three concepts, three ideas that's difficult to uh, understand uh, for some, and some that maybe claim to understand it probably don't, and some that claim to understand it uh, may understand it and they may not. I've talked about it many times. I'm not particularly a scholar, not a scholar at all, just that I've practiced a lot. This particular teaching is helpful if you can use it, contemplate it, and there are some, uh, me, there are some reference materials that I can uh, mention. Uh, the Samdhi Nirmachana Sutra, the Lankavatara Sutra, and a very good uh, reading on that is by the contemporary uh, Tibetan Buddhist master, Kempo Sultram Jamso, called Progressive Stages of Meditation on Emptiness. Very small book, but a book that he, uh, he's still around, he's in his 80s, he told his students to read 10 times. So, such a difficult teacher he was, or is. So, those three modes, three own beings, three uh, kinds of, of uh, uh, ways of talking about existence are described this way. Dependently arisen, dependent origination, or the Sanskrit is paratantra. Uh, the imaginary nature, the imputed nature, where, which is uh, parikalpada, and the perfected or absolute nature, which is parinishpana. And it took me a long time to remember those, literally decades. As I said, I'm not scholarly, so I don't pick up that kind of information very easily. However, that information is very supportive to what I'm about to endeavor to describe to you. And that is, uh, I'll say it this way, everywhere you look, you basically see the imaginary nature. You see what you impute or what you ascribe or what you uh, project onto whatever's there. Things are there and we think up stuff. So everything is happening and we make up things. We, Imagine this, we imagine that, we like this, we don't like that, we choose this, we don't choose that. We're all in favor of that, but this is over here, we're out of here. Imaginary, we are making up stuff all the time about everything, all the time. And the substrate, you could say, or the platform or the foundation on which we do that is <coughs> Paratantra or the dependently arisen. That which looks like a lot of things is separate things is dependent. These things are all dependent on each other for their apparent individuality or separation. So it's dependently arisen. It just it has no, no flavor, no value this way or that way. It's just arising. It's just like weather. It's just coming and going. It's not good. It's not bad. In fact, weather is a good way of thinking about it. Weather is a good way of thinking about this aspect, this way of looking at reality. It just comes and it goes. Nobody's business. Nobody really, no individual caused it. It's just a, a confluence of causes and conditions that bring about something that looks different than it did yesterday, weather. Whereas the imaginary nature is more like a dream we're having. It's not real. It's more like some something we're inventing or making up, even though we might think that it is uh, substantial and is the truth. Sometimes our opinions are made of, excuse me, made up of things like that. <coughs> But things are basically unreal in that they are impermanent. Even the ones that show up are always fading into nothing. So 
it's like if uh, if we have a if we have something that is impermanent. Here's something. Gone. We might have a memory of that, and if it's just close by, you can even imagine, you can recall how that sounded, but that is completely gone. It no longer exists. This is what's happening with everything, is path passing into, it arises, and it passes into, uh, from whence it came, emptiness or non-existence. <clears throat> so the way in which this can be helpful to you, possibly, is to see that everything you are seeing is... Uh, if you're seeing it for what it actually is, then you're seeing through your ideas, your opinions, your projections, your hopes and fears, your values, your judgments, your personification of everything. Excuse me. And you're, you see through that, then you see what is just there. It's just a very simple, basic uh, presence. And if you see that what is arising that you're adding on to it, if you see through that addition and you see that that is unreal, then you begin to see what is fundamentally there, which is not separate, or as the Buddha taught, everything is dependently arisen. There's not a, there's not a self anywhere, there's not an other anywhere. And if you see that, then you're actually seeing reality, or the third of the three natures, or the three own beings, the three modes, which is the perfected nature, or you're actually seeing the absolute. Nothing happens there because it is not separate. In order to have something happen, you have to have this and then this going away, or nothing there and then something appears. So there's appearance. So there's a constant movement all the time in the relative or the imputed nature or in the dependently arisen. But if you see that it's not separate, if you see that it both does what? It both exists and it non-exists. It's both there and it's not there at the same time. So it is empty of what you think it is. It's empty of your ideas about it. There are conceptual, in the Yogacara tradition, there are conceptual elaborations that can take you further down into this material. There's uh, something called, uh, excuse me, empty of self and empty of other. Um, Rangtong, Shentong and Rangtong. Just two elaborations on, on how that uh, works. And there are different schools of Buddhism that actually disagree on how that shows up. These are people who, I'm not one of them, people who are able to conceptually go down into this material and excavate it in such a way that they come up with ideas about this. Uh, for this person, it's difficult enough to just be able to get a feeling for what dependently arisen and what uh, the imputed or the imaginary nature and what the perfected or the absolute nature is, those three natures, those three own beings have a little bit of a feeling of that, but it's not through arriving at it conceptually. Uh, for me, it was, it was, it's been through just seeing it and then backing up into the concepts and seeing, I guess that's what that they're describing. But I couldn't have described that until I saw it. So I see it and I don't see it, what, at the same time. If you both see it and don't see it at the same time, you will not arrive at a conclusion that you see something. You will not arrive at a conclusion that you don't see something. You will not arrive at a conclusion that you are deluded, and you will not arrive at a conclusion that you are enlightened. Don't dwell anywhere. If there is something to dwell on, then there's someone dwelling. And we're right back to the old duality of good and bad, up and down, back and forth, right and wrong, correct and incorrect, 
And what goes along with all that? A whole boatload, maybe I should say bullock cart load. You've heard of a bullock cart? Well, welcome to my world. You hold a whole uh, cardboard box of that, full of suffering, of, of, of difficulty, of stress, of worry, of concerning about what's coming around the corner, of hope for what's coming. Hope and fear are equally equal contributors to suffering. If you're really hoping for something and then what happens, it doesn't happen. And then you're in a heap. Or you might hope and wish for something. And even if it happens, because you've spent so much time worrying about it, that even when it happens, it's kind of like, well, it doesn't matter if it happens, because I've already just pretty much destroyed my equanimity or peacefulness by worry and fretting. Questions are good anytime you have them. <clears throat> Junshu. How does the dependent nature look different from seeing the imaginary? So when we begin to see the dependent nature, the imaginary nature starts to, to you could say, peel away, and we start to see the, the, the foundation situation. We just, we, we, you could say we become very, uh, we start to become very objective about things and less subjective. But at the same time, we're not clinging to the subjectivity or to the objectivity, which is what science does. Science, uh, science uh, their scientific materialism clings to proof and clings to truth. And if you can't, you know, if you can't, uh, um, it has to be solid. It has to be provable. Has there has to be uh, there has to be evidence, evidentiary based based on more relative truth. It's like an egg proving there's a, a basketball. Well, that doesn't work very well, but that's kind of. But as my stepfather used to say, he was trying to introduce me to philosophy. I think when I was very young. So Bobby, which came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, his eyebrows had raised slightly. You know. What was your answer? I didn't know. So that was, uh, that's how I got here, <laughs> was trying to figure that out. I didn't have an answer. But that was a, the depth of his uh, inquiry into that. So this idea of the three natures, if you can ask questions about this, it would be, and continue to do that. Do you have anything else on that? Do they look different? Good. They're both different and the same. So they're different in that one is what's, what's here, and the other one is what we think is here. So there's a, there, there's, they look like the same thing until you see that they're different. And when you see that they're different, then, they, then they're still the same because they're both arising. It's just that one is uh, untrue and one is uh, true. So they're not, go ahead. Is the imaginary nature also dependent? It's dependent on hope and fear and on wanting things to be different than they are and on concern and worrying about things, protecting an imaginary self, protecting an imaginary other, or, or accusing someone of doing something or being some way or... So there's a dependent quality to it, but the dependent arisen, uh, dependently arisen that is, uh, uh, is excuse me, it's like the weather is more of a just a just the phenomena that is that is uh, coming out of nowhere, dependent on all the causes and conditions that are there to provide us with a sunny day, a stormy day. No one's uh, to blame. Uh, no one's no one gets credit. More. Can we know if we are seeing a dependent nature? Uh, I think we begin to need a handkerchief. Thank you. I think we begin to when uh, when we see that our our pers our subjectivity is starting to uh, we're starting to see through that and see that we've been inventing things or projecting onto things. We're starting to see what's fundamentally there. So we we begin to see uh, emptiness, the empty the 
that it is empty of what we thought it was. So that's no longer there. So we begin to see the actual rock instead of uh, uh, instead of uh, the gold bullion or the diamonds or whatever. We actually see that what that is fundamentally. The right to you, yes. Yes. How does the imagination function? It doesn't do much. Thank you. Pardon me. So if there's no hope or fear, then then the imaginary nature is is uh, beginning to use lose its uh, uh, its uh, uh, appearance is beginning to drop away. We're beginning to see through that into just what has dependently arisen. This is over here. Uh, I was wondering if it happened all at once or, uh, or just small things uh, at first, and then uh, it kind of all. I think it's. I think it can be both. It could be something very immediate and happening right away, and it could be. Uh, it could be gradual. One could get glimpses of it, and then it would drop away, and then another glimpse of that, and then it would start to cloud back over. And so on and so forth. Robert? When you train your observer, what happens to the dream or the illusion? It just has no more has no more say so. It might still be there. Like the, sometimes I say that uh, you don't have to get rid of your ego, particularly because just see that it's uh, unreal. If you're always trying to not be egotistical or push on it, it just keeps coming back in different forms with different masks. Yes, sir. Would you then say you pacify your ego and allow your observer to take control of that particular vision or view of things? Yeah. I think that would be that there would be too much uh, discursive thought going around that, trying to get all your furniture in the right order in the in the right room of the house. So too much uh, manipulation based on uh, thinking, evaluating, judging, moving this, moving that, toning this down, bringing this up. So that's why awareness, just awareness, just bare attention of what's coming and going is probably going to be the strongest entry. And you're, and sometimes we uh, call a, a Dharma gate, if your own personal hopes and fears, your own personal uh, difficulty, maybe, maybe it could be jealousy, say, just to pick something out, your own uh, difficulty with, with feeling jealous or feeling uh, like somebody's getting something you're not or somebody's getting ahead of you and that kind of feeling that rather than try to stop that or get rid of that that could be a dharma gate for you so that could be something rather than try to talk yourself out of it or convince yourself you shouldn't be jealous like we often do i shouldn't feel that way well uh, and this uh, i would say um just just experience your mind don't try to correct don't try to get a healthy ego necessarily try to see insofar as you can, that the help that the ego, the self-centeredness is actually unreal. It's not, it's there, but it's, it's both there and it's both uh, transparent at the same time. Yes. Uh, Dallas out in Oregon uh, joined us a few minutes late and asks if you could uh, reiterate what the three modes are. So the very simply put, the, the uh, uh, Paratantra, the dependently arisen, everything is dependent on everything else for its apparent for its appearance. The causes and conditions are untraceable. There are just so many. And they're, they're, they're very, very elaborate. And they're coming from all different kinds of places. And they're creating uh, by working against each other or for each other or with each other, uh, creating a, a relative situation, a dependently arisen, which is what the Buddha was talking about when he said that everything is dependently arisen. And then the next one would be... Uh, um, parikalpata or the imaginary nature or the imputed nature when you look at what is just dependently arisen just the solid facts of something happening 
and we impute or put things on it like what we think it is, if it has value for us, if it's a good thing, a bad thing, something that shouldn't happen, should happen. This is happening even in your mind in, the, in, a, in a, uh, a more subtle level of thoughts arising and falling. When thoughts arise and fall, take no position. Make no comment on your thoughts. Don't try to get rid of your thoughts. Don't push them down. Then they just take, then they just, uh, uh, take on a, a, the personality that you impute to them or that you project onto them. But just this is why the sitting practice of meditation is so valuable to us is we just sit down, hold still, and let it happen. Just let, let the, the phenomena that is coming in the form of thoughts and so on, just let them come and let them go. Don't do anything with them. Don't accept them. Don't reject them. Don't look away. Don't accept them. Oh, I just need to deal with this. Don't reject them. I shouldn't be thinking this shouldn't be happening. I don't know what I've done to deserve this. And don't look away. Uh, I think I'm going to go play some basketball. I think I'll get up and I've got uh, two more hours to sit here, uh, 45 minutes, but I think I'm going to go leave, going to go do something else. Or you're, you're out in a situation, uh, maybe whatever kind of situation, maybe you're at work and you're having a difficult time. And instead of just being with whatever's happening, we want to distract ourselves. So we may, uh, and not that there's anything wrong with stopping for, for a, a beer after work. I'm not saying that that's uh, wrong, but to overdo that and use that as a way of covering up what's happening at work or what's happening in your life. Um, that's making the issue uh, more difficult. So the third one uh, to respond to Dallas' uh, question is uh, the perfected nature, which is, or the absolute nature, which is when we see what is fundamentally the truth without the the imputed part or the imagined or the made-up part, the make-believe part, the imaginary nature, then we see what is fundamentally the case. And that what is fundamentally the case is empty of anything that we project onto it. So it is, it is both existent and non-existent. Some would say there's a, some would say that it's, uh, it's empty, uh, and some would say that the perfected nature is, uh, uh, is the only actual reality. So there's some extensions of that going uh, uh, different uh, approaches to the Yogacara school of Shantong, Rangtong, probably other ones I haven't even heard of. But as I said, I didn't learn this by the concepts first. I first saw this, and then... The concepts seem to fit what I was looking at. I didn't know what I was looking at. Yes. How can I practice starting to see or what would it? Uh, yes, by give give your mind give uh, in your sitting practice, which you need to do a lot of, and in your uh, post meditation or getting up off the cushion, interacting with others, get everything the benefit of the doubt. So, insofar as you can, even though you feel uh, an intense emotion coming up around something, don't validate it. Don't validate it by adding other thoughts to it about, uh, and there's two ways to do it, saying, I shouldn't be feeling this way, that's adding to it, or I have a right to feel this way because uh, uh, look what's happened, I've just lost my uh, canary. You know, I have something terrible has happened, and of course I should feel bad. To validate it either way, accept it, don't accept it, don't reject it. And the, the third one, the most difficult of the three, is what problem? Is to actually ignore that. So one needs to see what is arising, what is occurring, without doing anything with it. And eventually, if one practices and one is, uh, has sincerity about this, uh, eventually, uh, depending on your, the, uh, the karma that brought you into this world in the first place as a living being, uh, the combination of that, along with your intention to practice and see the truth yourself, that will come together, dependently arisen, that will come together in such a way that you'll, you will see. 
or you might have to <laughs> you might have to come back two or three more lifetimes. You might have to come back as an alien. Of course, you wouldn't come back here as an alien. Well, yeah, you probably would. <coughs> come to think of it, yeah, there's aliens everywhere. Yes. Uh, John from North Carolina has two questions. This first one is not taking credit for who you are and what you do another tool of seeing that nothing is separate. So the idea of uh, uh, the idea of taking credit is uh, taking, you know. Uh, Reminding oneself of what you've accomplished or something, and, you know, does get into it. You don't have to ignore that, but to, a little bit is fine. But we tend to kind of overdo that and grasp at some kind of identity that is accomplishing something, if I'm understanding what John is asking. So it's, uh, you know, not as it says in uh, Buddhism, is uh, called the middle way. And it's the middle way just be not because it can't make up its mind, it's the middle way because the understanding of this is so clear. That it sees to it, it understands. We understand as meditators that to pick and choose right and wrong just creates more warfare. It's not that um, picking and choosing, going out uh, on a on a, sun, on a sunny day uh, because the weather's nice, and and saying, well, no, the weather's nice. I'm not going to pick and choose. I'm going to I'm going to wait till it's a really crappy day. Then I'm going to go for a walk. I mean, to to be get ridiculous about it by trying to avoid picking and choosing. By going against it, and this is sometimes what happened. What's happened in ancient times when people would train their minds by um, starving themselves. I'll just starve myself, and that'll help me see more clearly uh, that I don't really need anything. Something you see pictures of the Buddha sometimes with with his ribs all showing. He went through that process apparently. Yes. His second question: Dogen says we should think the thought of non-thinking. Mm -hmm. I know he doesn't mean to say don't think, but does he mean not to think about thinking? He means not to, well, of course, I, he and I are like that, <laughs> so I know exactly what I meant by that. Uh, but I forgot what it was. I think he meant, I don't know. And of course, when he, what he swept Dogen, uh, a 13th century uh, uh, founder of this particular lineage of uh, Zen Buddhism, you know, he said a lot of things, and this is, you know, it's translated out of the Japanese into our language, into English. I think he was just trying to bring, help, encourage people to bring your mind, bring your attention, bring your awareness to just the process of thinking itself. And see, just think, can thinking stop? Is, can thinking be enhanced or speeded up? What is thinking? We, you know, we, we kind of know what thinking does. You know, it, it's bothersome sometimes, and sometimes it's helpful. But we don't know exactly what it is. We don't know what a thought is. We can't find a thought. We all agree that we have thoughts, but I don't know. I don't have a bucket of thoughts somewhere that I could show you guys. Here's what I've been thinking today. How we would do that is where we write a book. Here's what I've thought about. And even that can be um, full of uh, distortions. A uh, question from Sheldon down in Union City. Yes, Sheldon. You explain this to us and it makes sense, the projecting that we do. What stops us from actually being aware of it, even though you explain it so clearly? The exp well, thank you. Explain <laughs> it clearly. Uh, we explain it, and but then the explanation is just a, a series of concepts that because this the person explaining has an idea of what that's pointing at, 
So I'm kind of showing you what this arrow looks like and you're looking at the arrow and you're looking at the arrow and that arrow is pointing into uh, away from the concepts. So we can have the feeling when we start to look at this, okay, dependently arisen, then we lay our ideas on top of it. But if we see that we're laying our ideas on top of it and it's dependently arisen, then we also are seeing the ultimate nature of the situation because we see that this is untrue. We say that this is an illusion and even the dependently arisen uh, is also not separate from the perfected nature or uh, is also separate from the perfected nature and not separate. I have trouble getting that right. I'm kind of transcendentally dyslexic. So, but it's not, they're not different. They're the same and, di and not different. It's not two again. You can't find two things. If you're looking for two things, you can find two things in separate fingers, one hand, separate uh, uh, living beings, one humanity. It's functioning like that on all levels. Uh, so what's happening there is to, uh, what Sheldon's asking about is because the, the pointing itself is not the information. It's like, well, one of the Nishikai, the two arrows meeting in midair. It's like that kind of it's like, that's impossible. Two arrows never are going to meet in midair. But still, we have the concept of it. So we have a concept of something that probably is never going to happen. But it, di it just did. In your mind, it happened. Just if I, if I say there's a tiger whose front part looks like a tiger, but the back part looks like a polar bear. You, know, you can kind of see that in your mind's eye. So you're welcome. <laughs> you know, you're never going to get that out of your mind. 20 years from now. You're still around, which I doubt that I will be, but you might, might think, I wonder if Sokazan really saw something like that. I mean, I'm still carrying that picture around in my head, but I can make it even more difficult uh, as the front of a tiger and the back end of a uh, muskrat. More difficult. Want to go worse than that? <laughs> front end of a bat. Something tells me that you're laughing at me. You're not laughing because that's funny, because you're on your which end, like, where the dividing line of bat is. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, this half is the bat, that half is the, uh, is the uh, Portuguese man of war. No. So what I'm saying is, sure, I'm just throwing out some images and we're, we're thinking about them, thinking about that, but look how amazing <laughs> the mind is. We can just come up, we can speculate, we can talk about just about anything and it shows up somehow. And once that's created, that uh, that you can't destroy that. You can't really destroy that because it didn't come into actual existence. Where did it show up at? It showed up in our minds. And so that's what I would like you to observe is your mind. <laughs> Jeez, that is really tired. <laughs> but you can't go to bed yet. A little bit later. Yes, Junchu. When you talk about seeing the depicted nature through visionary thought, it sounds like you might kind of lose some relative idea of things, like what we're looking at. Yes. Does that make it difficult to function in a relative world? I think it could at first, but if you have a teaching, you have a teacher, you have a sangha, you have a community, I think it, that helps because then you have, it's not so much that you have some kind of uh, agreement. It's not like a belief system. It's like an encouragement for you to use these teachings to move uh, with your own awareness into a, a fundamental understanding, a realization of what this what this world is, so that you'll so that you won't necessarily agree with it, disagree with it, or uh, or ignore it. Those are the three the three ways we avoid reality is we agree with it, 
we agree. We just jump on it and clamp, even though it's in the, it's morphing all the time, it's changing. We, we lock down, it's called an opinion. Anytime you have an opinion on anything, just write your opinion down on a, on a legal pad. No, don't write it on a legal pad. Write it on a napkin. That's better. And write it, uh, and then just look at that and watch how that's starting to change already. Even, even your own opinion that you just wrote down. I think um, all lizards are ugly. You'll start seeing beautiful lizards. It's just it's inevitable for that to happen. Anytime we like lockdown, unless you're using it as a as warfare with somebody, where you're fighting with somebody else's opinion and you feel threatened, then we tend to lock down even tighter and get a stranglehold on our, on, on our thoughts and our beliefs and so on. Not necessary to believe or disbelieve anything. Uh, William Murray up in Grand Rapids asks: Yes, if we see what this is, where do we go if we don't come back? You don't go anywhere. There isn't anything but this. There's nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. There, there isn't anything. And you, you're actually living in emptiness, which is not absence. It's not the emptiness of absence. Is that nirvana? That's the fancy word for it. Yes. But it's not a place, and it's not a. It's not an ending. It's uh, also cessation, and it's the cessation of grasping at anything. When we start to see through the imaginary nature, it might feel like. To me, it seems like it might feel like we're falling. Yes. Losing. Like falling is a good one. How do we not grasp onto more relative supports? Uh, uh, don't 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 grasp onto relative supports. Wait and see if you hit bottom. If you don't hit bottom, why grasp anything? There isn't anyone to hit bottom. But you have to realize that because if you think there is, you're going to operate out of fear and you're going to grab something. Hope and fear. Hope that I don't hit bottom. Fear that I will hit bottom. And the just a complete understanding and spacious, uh, spaciousness of everything allows you to just live here with this. There isn't, there isn't anything to hit. What if we don't like the feeling of falling? You're screwed. <laughs> in a good way you know the ego the ego mind the self-centered mind is what what is uh, screwed or what is like it, it, it's in for it and the ego ego knows that the ego when it starts to come into a situation like this sometimes it gets so strong that the ego will just say I can't I can't do this and it will make up like well, this is a lousy teacher this teacher is not nice to me uh, the sangha is rude uh, the community is rude uh, I don't like I just don't want to be here anymore. I don't like this. I'm ready to do this. And that person will leave. And we have had people do that. And I, they are not doing anything wrong. They're doing what they need to do. They're not ready for this. They're not ready for this kind of a path. And this path is that has can have that kind of a feeling. You're starting to fall. You're starting to fall. And you don't like that feeling of, of losing, losing yourself, losing your identity, losing everything. But if you don't do anything with it, you'll notice that, uh, uh, it's not a problem. It's only a problem to someone who is upset and grasping at itself and trying to be something solid, trying to solidify themselves. Yes. Shane from California yes. asks, when thoughts become an obsession that compel you to act, how much effort should I put towards not adding when the effort to not add causes warfare? Please don't say sit more unless you have to. Well, I do have to sit more. I, I do have to sit. You said, don't say sit more unless I have to. And I do have to say that, Jade. I have to say it. I'm sorry. I really am. I'm sincerely sad that I have to say that to you. But 
sit more. Sit a lot. Schedule yourself. Oh, he meant it the other way around. Please don't say sit more unless you have to. Is that what he said? Shane, you need to come back here and do a solitary retreat. About a month would be good. We'll take care of you. You can be right in that apartment right above the Zendo. We'll bring your food to you. No? Okay, you got to take all your food in. Cook yourself. We're not going to help you. Do you want his question again? Do I want his question again? Sure. When thoughts become an obsession that compel yeah. you to act, how much effort should I put towards not adding when the effort to not add causes warfare? Okay. Stop trying to not add and use the energy that you were uh, applying to not adding and apply that energy to seeing how much you add. Just, it's always about awareness. It's never about accomplishing anything. Bring your awareness into the addition part and make that part of your, make it a Dharma gate, make it a way that you move towards reality, towards your own awakening. To see the way in which you're con confusing things, to see the way in which you're getting in the way of your own freedom with your thought patterns and your warfare. If you really see that fundamentally and you see it deeply, then the, the, the fuel lines or the, the, the way this ego mind or this self-centered mind that wants to go to war, the way it's getting its nourishment can be seen. And you can actually, without doing much at all, you can just you see that so clearly, those uh, fuel lines, uh, passion, aggression, ignorance, hope, and fear start to dry up because they, they, can't, they can only live in darkness. They can't live in the light of awareness, to use a fancy metaphor. Oh, we have all kinds of time to come up with questions, sir, Robert. Um, talking about the fear, yes. losing the fear of understanding the dream and the illusion and then grasping, as you mentioned, yeah. grasping for mm -hmm. something. If you allow that fear to just stay there for a moment, does it transcend into something else? It, it could, but it's certainly not going to if we clamp down on it and it you know, goes under the carpeting somewhere and hides. Have to have to be, just have to let it be what it is. Take a, take a soft approach towards it. Just like you with your being a, a counselor, just like you would with someone who, who came into your uh, office to get help from you, you know, and they were having a lot of difficulty and having a lot of warfare going on internally. You know, you would you would uh, have some understanding and some consideration. You know, try to make them feel as comfortable and safe as possible, so they could begin to work with their negativity. So it's always different. And some people are never going to meditate. It's just not, they're not, they're not into this. They're going to do something else. Some people really, maybe all the only thing that can help them is, is uh, some kind of medication. Uh, uh, other people need a lot of counseling, a lot of talking. Some people just need uh, uh, something like uh, you know, a 12 step program or something. They need some kind of strong community that they can really share with and feel safe. So there, there's no, there's no right way to do this. There's just, Lots of ways. This happens to be one that goes right to the root of consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, personally, if you allow that fear just to stay there um, and you recognize it for what it is, um, does it ever elevate itself to something else? And I use elevate very kind of loosely. Just it could. It could. What what could happen to use uh, concepts to describe it? Is you could you could see that the fear is there, but there's actually no one who's afraid. So you could have a feeling of fear, but because of your practice, because of your awareness practice, you would have the the sense of a strong, solid self had started to disintegrate. 
when that self has completely disintegrated, you don't really care what happens. I'm not saying you don't notice it. Well, this is uncomfortable, this is comfortable, but you, you don't take it, uh, what's the conventional way of saying that? You don't take it personally. And because there isn't any person anymore. And it's also, when you look uh, there, it isn't like you see a big, uh, you know, burnt spot in the carpet. You're not gonna find a corpse somewhere, is what I'm saying. But you, you'll see that there, there really isn't any, there never was anything there. So it actually, you actually realize that there never really was anything to be particularly concerned about. Yes, further questions? Uh, Shane has another question. He asks, what is the fundamental way we add? The fundamental way that we, we add is we, whatever is arising, we do something with it. What, whatever is happening that is here, I mean, it can be anything from your, your air coming out of your body. Just air is coming out, but then air comes in, and then someone moves, and then there's a sound. And we, we can't, we, we don't seem to be able to just be with what's there. We have to have some kind of politics of experience. Our experience is there, and we need to have some kind of political position around it. So we, we're for it or we're against it. We like it or we don't like it. And so the fundamental way is a, is a very, very tiny movements of the mind, which uh, do not need to be stopped. They need to be seen. And the way in which you can see, that, see them, I'm not saying there aren't other ways, but the only way I know of, and I'm kind of biased in this area, probably very biased, sit down, hold still, and watch. Sit down, hold still. And I'm speaking of somebody who's done really complicated kinds of meditation, really elaborate. And I'm, I'm saying even those might you personally might need to do some of those, but you should, you could, you could start with just sit down, hold still, don't move for a few hours. And if you, if your leg hurts, which mine does, move your leg. If your cheek itches, scratch your cheek, not that one. And just observe what's moving uh, in your, with your six sense fields, including the mind. Just watch what comes and goes. Birds outside, chirping, fine. And there's no, not even any comment like fine. There's just birds. Um, the thoughts are rising, maybe a concern about how you're paying your electric bill or something like that. Just, just, just observe that. Come and go. Don't shut down on it. Don't fluff it up. Don't push it down. Don't look away. And through this process, what is getting stronger and stronger is just your, just your witnessing of your life. Just, you're just alive. None of us know how we got here, and we don't know if we could do this again or if we didn't want to. You just go look in the mirror and you say, somehow, you know, the dependent origination, the causes and conditions, two of the obvious ones are your mom and your dad. Without a mom and a dad, you can't be here, at least not yet, and probably we'll come up with something eventually. So a very simple, to see the very, very subtle activity is to, to undertake a very subtle kind of action, which is not action out in the world, mowing the lawn, chopping down trees, driving a, uh, at the Indy 500, but actually sitting down, holding still, and watching, on a, allowing the mind to just settle, and seeing there's all kinds of activity happening on a very subtle level called consciousness. Deep consciousness is, is under, is in some kind of motion about something else all the time. It's always looking for some other thing until it doesn't. Michelle? So is that how we begin to see that there is no self? Yes. Because we look at what's moving, we look at what's moving, and then at some point or points, we might, you might just spontaneously turn around and see if you can see who's seeing this. 
So there are, are even practices. There's one in the Hindu tradition called Atma Vichara or self-inquiry. Atma Vichara. Atma is a self-vichara, is to look into. So we sit down and uh, Ramana Maharshi, a uh, uh, Hindu sage of the last century, uh, taught this to his uh, students. Uh, sit down and say, who's who's seeing? And then if you have something comes back, I am. Then who, who is that? Who am I? And then it says, I'm me. Then who is me? And then there's a constant returning to simplicity, returning to the simple inquiry of it. And the way, I'm not saying you couldn't use this, but what I would say is just don't do anything. Sit down, hold still until the self-consciousness begins to arise and you have the opportunity to, to take that which has been looking out into the world and turn it around. And it's, you know, it's a different, it's a different timing for everyone. There, there might be a time three months from now, six months, six years from now, when you've been sitting and sitting and sitting and there's just a time where suddenly or even gradually uh, you start to go in deeply inside to see who's there, who is there? Is there a solid being there that needs support? Is there a solid being there that needs protection? Is there a solid being there that is, sub, is uh, uh, sensitive to criticism? If you see who this is, you, you both will, uh, will feel criticism and yet it won't mean anything because you'll feel it, but there's no self that is feeling that. So there's no defense for it. There's no, there's not, you might feel it. It might still hurt, but there's no one who is in pain. How do you Cody? deeply examine the self if it's unreal in the first place? You see that it's unreal. It's an imaginary. Is there depth to the self? Yeah, there's all kinds of depth. There's layers. There's all kinds of, the artificiality of it is, has all kinds of layers. Like, Anything you invent, anything you come up with has all kinds of uh, colors, tones, shades, depth, textures to it. Like our emotions, uh, we have uh, an emotion of, uh, of uh, anger. It has all kinds of depth and nuance and texture to it, even though it's just a very simple, I'm angry. But if we, if we turn the awareness and look at the anger without justifying it, I'm angry because, as soon as you say I'm angry because, you've actually abandoned the anger. And you, not you, but anyone, is going towards something else, and that is relief. As soon as you start to blame, you get a little bit of relief, a little dose of relief from the intensity of the difficulty, blaming either ourselves or blaming someone else. Didn't you? In that sutra, what does it mean when it says no relief? No relief? Mm, it means no relief. What's the, what's the opposite <coughs> of that? Isn't there some opposite to that? Usually it does that in pairs. No suffering? Yeah. No suffering, no relief from suffering. So there's no there's no suffering. What it's really saying, near as I can tell, I, I don't didn't check in with the the who wrote the Heart Sutra, but the way it looks over here, I don't know how to say it any more simply. It's not two. It's there's no relief and there's no uh, there's no non-relief. So there's both suffering and not suffering at the same time. So there's both a self or some kind of self, but there's also no self in order to to introduce uh, anyone to this, we first have to say, look at this. And then as we go along, we say, look and see that there's not a solid self there. Well, when you see there's not a solid self there, then something shows up, which is not a self, but it's it's not a self and it's not not a self. But first we have to go into the, the emptiness part of it first to see that it is empty of what we thought it was. We thought we were a solid being that could be criticized or that we should defend or if you want to find out, want to feel yourself, uh, just notice the next time somebody criticizes you, if you feel at least bit defensive, even if you're, if you're 
even if you're correct in being defensive, that's that's your, your self-centeredness is there. Or if someone compliments you, whether it's correct or incorrect, I think you're one of the most wonderful people I've ever met. I've never met a sweeter, kinder, more wonderful, and not only that, good-looking person than you are. We immediately start to, we might not smile like I'm doing. We might not do that. But inside, we're kind of going, but the outside, we're going, oh, yeah, no, I, I know I get by. I'm all right. Yeah, yeah, whatever you say. You all know what I'm talking about. We all have, I mean, maybe it's not the silly version that I'm expressing here, but we have a kind of a, you know, if somebody compliments us, whether they're right or wrong, and we kind of feel there, there's an area of the identity that kind of feels better about that. Or it can go the other way and think, you know, what are you, what are you trying to, you know, we get suspicious, you know, we know that we're not that good. <laughs> So why are they saying that? They know I'm a creep. Why are they saying that to me? They want to borrow money. <laughs> so you know, we, we can take anything and make, we can fabricate so many things. And all I'm really saying as, as a teaching uh, is to sit down, hold still, train your mind, find out who you are. Find out who, find, fundamentally, you don't need, even need Buddhism. I think it, Buddhism helps because it, it causes us, because of the schedules, because of the teaching, because of the teacher. Because of the Sangha, it causes us to do enough of it so that there is a possibility in this lifetime, which you've had many, many countless numbers of lifetimes, a chance to actually break through the, the vice grip of ego because it's got us. And, and we've been trained to do this. We've been trained to object to some things, agree with other things, and have some kind of political stance on everything. Yes. A question from Anna Maria out in Brooklyn, New York. Yes. Uh, actually, it's two questions. Yes. Can the body still experience pain, aggressive, visceral reactions to fear, anger, sadness, envy, even though you recognize that it is fear, anger, sadness, envy? It appears as body-slash-mind separation. How to work with this while it's occurring? Just don't give up. There's no way to know what causes and conditions, and I'm going to personalize this, have, have gone before to create the, the karma that Anna Maria or anyone in here is experiencing. There's no way to go back and say, well, in the 17th century, this and this and this and this happened and you were, your consciousness was involved in them. I'm not saying you had a past life, but we're not separate. Just like when you go to sleep, you enter all different kinds of worlds. We call them dream worlds. They're not real. Don't be too sure what's real and what's not real. Give everything the benefit of the doubt. You know how real a nightmare can be when it's happening. I mean, it's pretty effective for not being real. Pretty effective at scaring us. So I would say, uh, with Anna Maria and anyone else, I just whatever is occurring, don't accept it, don't reject it, don't look away. No matter how strong the politics get, how many of your little thought patterns are voting for this should not be happening. Uh, this is just ego. It's just self-centeredness, wanting things to be different than they are. This is the teaching of the Buddha. One of the first things that he said, life is suffering or difficulty. He didn't say part-time, and he was not a nihilist. Who's a complete realist. Life is suffering. If you're not suffering, you're covering something up. The interesting thing about it is even though the physical sense, the nerve endings that are here that receive the suffering and the pleasure are all the same ones, that if there's no self, then it's just very very simple. You Something, fire is hot, wind, <coughs> wind blows, earth is hard and uh, water's wet. It's a very simple kind of relative situation that's happening rather than some kind of uh, extra 
uh, extra emphasis on some kind of politics about we should, we shouldn't, this should be happening, that shouldn't be happening. So just, I would say, just keep going. No, let nothing stop you. Find out who you are, make it, make it your, uh, as I said many times, you don't have to join this, but make it, if you want a, a goal in life, find out who you are, without a doubt, so you know completely who you are, that no one, no matter what anyone says or does, uh, that you understand what that is. You may not be able to convince them, but you won't need to. You don't need to convince anybody of anything. One more question, Michelle. So what do you do if you feel empty? Uh, don't do anything. Continue to feel it. Nothing lasts. So the feeling of emptiness, especially if you do nothing with it, if you, do, if you don't think up any philosophy about it, or you don't say, well, this must be the emptiness that the Buddhists are talking about, or uh, don't, do, don't do nothing with it. Just, just observe that. Just watch what that does. It won't last. It will probably change into some kind of fullness of the emptiness. Actual emptiness, the realization of emptiness is completely full of what you were missing all along by projecting all kinds of personality onto it. There isn't anything that doesn't belong to you. There isn't anything that isn't your, uh, every, every uh, cardinal that flies by out here uh, in, uh, when May gets here, every one of them is, you're not separate from it, but human beings just ignore that and, and they opt for their own internal struggle about themselves and about others and who's getting ahead and who's winning and who's losing. And, uh, Death comes without warning, this body will be a corpse. At that time, the Dharma will be your only help, or the Dharma of the truth. Practice it with exertion. Find out who you are. You don't have to believe in Buddhism. You don't have to believe in me. You don't have to ever come here again, unless you're a student of mine. Then you better show up with lots of money, of course. <laughs> no, you don't need to. Yes? Getting ready to bow? No. You could have been standing on the end of a diving board. <laughs> okay, I think everybody is asleep. Jason <laughs> <laughs> and Sanchu just traveled for 35 hours on a plane, wasn't it? 35 hours? Planes, trains, and automobiles? Yeah. So coming back from India, he decided that wasn't, he didn't want to stay there. And, you know, Sancho tried to talk him into it. <laughs> okay, very good. Thank you so much. I'd like to remind everybody that we do have donation boxes in the hallway and gratefully accept any donations you want to bring this way. We also accept payments on PayPal with the square with your debit and credit card, checks, cash, not Bitcoin yet, but come and talk to us. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we in every sentient